out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed. Thank you, Jim. Good update. Hello, welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall, always playing the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. And sometimes beyond, sometimes before. But this time it's going to be one of the interviews I did quite recently because I spoke to a member of the Berry St Edmunds in Suffolk band, Jacob's Mouse, and one third of the, the combo, Jeb Boothby. So we caught up, we talked about life, love, poetry, all that kind of groovy stuff, and also life in a band. This is the interview, and after a bit of chat and waffle, I got down to the serious business that was the beginning of time. Well, not quite, actually. This is the uh, formative years that I asked, and this was Jeb's reply. Jeb, save this interview from us all going to sleep. Please, take it away. Well, it would would have been sort of kind of 88 to sort of 90, I guess, when when we were all kind of getting into kind of proper music. I think we, we were kind of teenage you know metal heads um and then as we kind of hit kind of 16 kind of sixth form years we we started to kind of kind of reach out through through listening to john peel and you know like you say the kind of enemy and and the kind of those sort you know sources and uh started to kind of get um you know turned on to to, to more interesting stuff. I think um, it was it was always at the kind of more noisy end of the spectrum. So it was like Dinosaur Junior, Sonic Youth, um, Fugazi. And there, there was there was also there was a, a a TV show that was on. Um, I think it was B was it Channel Four Snub Snub TV, yes. which was on kind of sort of very early in the morning, which I, which you know I used to video or you know the, the three of us in the band kind of did and. You know, you get all sorts of kind of really weird, interesting stuff. I remember a sort of very formative band, some some band called the Dog Faced Hermans, right? Who were, who, I think for, I think Scottish, and uh, you know this kind of crazy sort of agit pop kind of band. And that, I, I think I remember seeing them, you know, around just on Snub, and also seeing Fugazi on on Snub TV. You know, around would have been around 88 just thinking wow this is kind of got the you know you know all the kind of power and aggression and and of 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 heavy metal but but without the nonsense you know with this kind of you know without the sort of pomp and posturing and whatever yeah and I think those were kind of early early sort of touch touch points for us yes because I I suppose I'd sort of obviously I'm a bit older but I kind of grew up you know, during the 70s, I suppose, you know, watching Top of the Pops in those early days of, yes, I suppose most of it was kind of the glam world and things like, um, I don't know. Yes, I suppose glam glam rock was kind of the first time when, you know, one started getting excited. I can remember, you know, things like The Sweet and definitely Gary Glitter, obviously. he We all wanted to be in Gary's gang. But then it was seeing David Bowie's Space Oddity and kind of that was my first single 
and then changes one. But the the first single, yeah, was Space Oddity, and it had changes on on the B side and um, Velvet Goldmine, which I thought was amazing. And my brother was a bit older than me, and he had all these prog rock records, which I was kind of quite obsessed with when I was about twelve, because I used to find them quite kind of like, wow, that's like nothing I've heard before. But he also, interestingly enough, had those kind of early heavy metal ones like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, I think, and a bit of Hawkwind. But mostly it was Deep Purple and Black Sabbath that, you know, I sort of grew up listening to. And Rainbow, that was the other one, Rainbow Rising. So it was kind of that, that was kind of my introduction. So I always loved that that kind of British heavy metal and I really liked Motorhead. But then the kind of the 80s heavy metal was a bit like, oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> it was like it didn't really do anything for me at all. Yeah, I mean, I think I think those sort of bands, you know, the like you say, Black Sabbath, Motorhead, you know, that that those, you know, a lot of those records still really stand the test of time, and you know, because they because they were kind of quite sort of punky in their own ways, especially sort of Motorhead, you know, it's very, they were kind of stripped down and fast, and there wasn't the kind of posturing to them of the, you know, later eighties metal. The hair metal years. Yes, because yeah. though, though I, I was obsessed with John Peel and would record his show most nights on my trusty TDK D90 cassette and then sort of have to listen to it for several occasions because it was all kind of new stuff and most of it was quite like peculiar. But then you go, oh, yes, I really love, you know, the Bundu Boys or I love the Smiths or June Brides. But then there were those kind of bands that you know also I quite I mean it was kind of more grunge really and it was about I mean it was Huskadoo were the band that I really liked and they were the ones that I obsessively played and like you mentioned Giant Dinosaur Jr and some uh, sort of Sonic Youth but it was Huskadoo I really I think it was the sort of bands that didn't sound quite in control of their instruments that I particularly liked rather than the bands who sounded a little bit calculating yeah I mean I I, I really like Huskadoo I'm I'm uh, especially a new day rising was a sort of big album of mine um, that I li- listened to, and I was uh, with their production. I was always very intrigued by it because I w- wasn't sure whether it was quite meant to sound like that or whether it was sort of happy accident. I don't know. All all their records kind of seem to. I don't know. Yeah, they 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 they, they never sort of seem to sound quite like you would expect them to sound. And I was, you know, would have loved love to have seen them live I was kind of a bit young to, to ever watch catch them live so I kind of always wonder how the albums kind of relate to, to them as a live band yes I must admit I saw yes I had one of those Glastonbury my first ever Glastonbury was 87 and I really and they were playing Glastonbury. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. I'll see them. But they were on Friday afternoon and I got there and they'd already been and gone. But I had tickets to see them in Kentish Town on the Sunday. So I left Glastonbury and there was a lot of traffic jams. And I sort of got to the venue and I think it was like four songs left. And to be honest, I couldn't remember. It had been one of those disastrous kind of ideas of driving from going to the festival and then going to London, seeing Husker do. You know, I mean, looking back on it, it was... um, a useless idea but it was it was what you do when you're young and you're obsessed about a band really but I then saw Sugar and that was amazing so um I did see Bob Mould when he was in that particular lineup so I was quite pleased so when you were starting when you when you were in the 80s period then were you playing me were you sort of learning to play guitar at that point yeah well we we, we were a fully formed band really by I don't know kind of 80 
87 almost, you know, even though we were only 15, uh, 15 years old, you know, we, we were kind of fully formed and kind of playing, playing gigs and things. And then I think, I think around sort of, I mean, I, 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 you know, I have in my head, it was around 88, which is when we would have started in the sixth form. It, it became kind of a bit more serious and we became a bit more focused but but we were we were definitely a you know a fully up and gigging band and then we we recorded our first EP um, well in in 1990 in the summer of 1990 so so uh, which was the summer we left school so you know we were we were a properly you know through through those kind of two years we were kind of gigging and and kind of rehearsing material and to the to the point where you know we made a you know we're able to go in and, and make our first record yes and how did that first because that was your your five track ep the dot did that go well yeah. i mean did you get because because i did an interview Sally, with fast eddie just before he died which was a bit odd timing and um he sort of talked Sorry? a lot about he talked a lot about uh producers and productions and sort of trying to you know, the band never quite got that really sorted. He did a little bit because they had Vic Mail, which was, um, yeah, for sort of Ace of Spades. But then they had the disaster when Eddie decided to, because the band said, look, let's save some money, even though they'd done three albums. And he tried to produce the sort of that album, which kind of went badly wrong. And then he left the band. So did you find a producer, an engineer that sort of captured what you wanted? We... We did. We, we were we were very very lucky. Actually, we recorded um, at in in Norfolk, a studio in Norfolk, a guy called Howard Turner, who's um, was you know running a local studio there, and he 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 you know was did lots of work with local bands, but had also worked on some you know bigger bands and some album projects. I think Fourteen Ice Bears. He'd he'd done an album for them, and you know we. We kind of had three days. We kind of went in, and and you know we we were really lucky that in that he he really kind of did know what he was doing, and he was able to kind of capture you know what we were about quickly. I mean, I think we were we were did our part in that we were very well rehearsed and we knew what we wanted. But yeah, you know, looking back, it was incredible. You know, I think we you know booked three days. I think any, any band sort of going to a studio always for the first time always massively underestimate how long everything's going to take. You always think, well, you'll go in, you'll play the songs once or twice, and then, you know, that's it. And, you know, you don't sort of realise the painstaking process of having to, you know, play, build up the build up the layers of sound and, and you know, uh, make, you know, just the time it takes to get a drum sound up and the endless kind of, you know, sort of tinkering. So, so looking back, I'm amazed that we got, you know, the, what we got out of those three days you know and that that was was amazing it was our kind of you know calling card really you know to, to be able to put that out and and I think it's um it got single of the week in sounds when it when it was released which was you know again kind of unbelievable yes um, you, did you feel a bit sort of at that stage like God, child, almost child stars, weren't you? At the age of six form, sort of single of the week yeah. in sounds is quite bizarre, isn't it? Not to be a manufactured band by Simon Cowell. Yeah, I don't, I don't think at the time we realised quite how remarkable it was, you know, because we just we'd sent off, you know, in complete, you know, completely naive. It's almost, I'm sure there's there's some phrase, but you know, the the 
you know, crazy uh, optimism and naivety of youth. You know, we just thought, well, we've made this record. We're just going to send, you know, we'll send one off to John Peel and we'll send send one off to the to Sounds and Melody Maker and NME. And, you know, without any kind of press, you know, not understanding of there, there were such things as, you know, press officers and, you know, whole, you know, major labels having whole departments of marketing and people, you know, plugging these records to various journalists and so so we, we almost weren't that surprised you know when we got single of the week although we were absolutely over the moon it was just oh well you know yeah well that's good the, the record's good and you know that's kind of what happens you know yes that is fantastic um, and what was the label you were on because i know you were on ouija records after that yeah. and we and ouija i always remember ouija because that was uh, one of my other favorite bands was silverfish who were on ouija records yeah and um, we loved silverfish didn't we but anyway yes yeah, so what was your label for the dot uh, so that was a label um called liverish that was set up by a local record shop so there was a, a second-hand record shop called the record peddler in Bears and edmonds where we were living and uh, he kind of approached us one day and just said, you know, I'd, I'd like to set up a label and, and put a record out. Are you up for it? And so so we did. And, you know, well, you know, so so it was a kind of a combined project with, with him. I think it, in the end, I think that he didn't do any other records after that, I think. Um, I think maybe obviously didn't... Uh, well, for whatever reason, but shortest lived record label ever. So, how many copies did you sell at that one? I, I, I have honestly no idea. I mean, I, I'm guessing there probably would have been about a thousand pressed. Oh, okay. Maybe I think maybe we then then got another thousand pressed. You know, when thing when the you know reviews came in and they were quite good, but it would have been yeah probably around a thousand mark i would have i would have thought like i can't believe there's that many of them floating around yes well that's that's impressive so then because after that you know getting so did you ever do a john peel session no not at that point um he did he did play tracks off the off the ep but i think at that point we didn't do a john peel session i'm trying to i think the first um John Peel session we did was was after our first album came out, the No Fish Shop Parking. Um, so because that, I mean, he that that came, basically we we were kind of still at that point without a record label, and we had had all these songs, and you know we were kind of getting frustrated because you know we weren't able to sort of move on or felt things were stuck, and we actually self-financed that album um um sam the who sang and played drums had, had been left some money by a relative and and so decided he was going to use that to you know press the record and release it and so so that's what we we did yes but then because because the other great thing is you you probably didn't appreciate it at the time as none of us do really but you you also you were supporting like some of the most amazing bands in the world, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to think. So the so so we it would have been in the the, the autumn of of nineteen ninety. So we just literally got the dot ep kind of I think copies of that sort of pressed, and we had those. We we supported Nirvana at the waterfront, 
Yes. Which was, you know, pretty amazing. I mean, even even at the time, it was it was a big gig for us at the time because, you know, we we were fans. Yeah, they so they just released so they'd released Bleach and then Sliver, the kind of um, you know, an EP really, wasn't it? And I think they were over doing a kind of belated tour to support that. And they, they were touring with L7 and they were doing, I don't know, only sort of seven or eight dates, I think, in the UK and finishing off with uh, uh, the waterfront in Norwich. And we were kind of, you know, invited as, as kind of local support to, to play that. So, so you yeah, know, even at the time we were, we were sort of, you know, really psyched to do it. Yeah. And then you know, looking back at, well, it's sort of, takes on it ever more you know sort of importance you know it's kind of one of those things it's like the first thing that anyone kind of seems to remember about us now you know this <laughs> one gig that we played but you know it was, it was an amazing sort of time to catch them really because I think that they were just heading back to the states to record Nevermind and so kind of watching them and you know they they had had these new songs that I'd not heard before you know that, that weren't on bleach or or sliver you know and these kind of they obviously had a bit more of a poppy edge and and you could just tell they they were just this band that was they they were something else you know they and and to to sort of you know and they they just they were they were great guys you know and just um i remember we sort of played the gig and you know we had the sort of normal you know whatever it is you know yard of space in front of the stage that the sort of support band gets you know, and there were sort of two guys sat down the front, you know, really kind of getting into it and, you know, sort of, you know, banging their heads and thinking, this is going well, you know, the the locals are happy. And then we kind of got off stage and these two guys sort of turn up in the dressing room and it's um, Chris, Chris and Dave from Nirvana, you know, saying, oh, you know, we love the band. Great. You know, you're the uh, you're you're our favourite band we've played with this on this tour, you know, and you know just so it was just really it was just a really sort of positive experience i remember swapping swapping a, rec- a copy of our record we just had pressed for a t-shirt because they uh chris wanted a record but but said oh you know i'm just got no money i'm you know we're at the end of the tour and i've spent all my my money you know can i can i swap a record for a t-shirt you know so yeah sure <laughs> so yeah so I don't I I, I sort of held on to that, that the t-shirt for quite a long time but I don't think I've got it anymore so whether whether he's still got the the record I I don't know maybe yes. he does I'm sure he I'm sure you know it's bizarre aspect because I did see I saw them when they were supporting Tad at the art center a few years before that because that was that sort of sub pop kind of uh, time when they were still on that label and John yeah. Pillar played sub pop 100 and then there was another compilation probably called 200 that had come out and I remember that kind of early kind of stuff that was that was coming from Seattle and being incredibly excited by it because it was kind of what was quite interesting with that time as well was that with a lot of the indie bands that have done those interviews and I sort of mentioned that this kind of uh, five-year period where, where between 83 to 87 there was all these indie bands and then and that was also you know basically the years of the Smiths but then it was kind of things start out off with most scenes. They do get tired and, and then sort of like the drugs change. So you had the ecstasy world that was appearing. And I think a lot of those bands had just thought, actually, we're just not going to become the Stone Roses or Happy Mondays and probably don't even want to take ecstasy. So they kind of gave that a miss. And then you had grunge that came in. So I think 
you know, a lot of those kind of bands like the Wolfhands, June Brides, etc. You know, they were just they were just getting kind of tired. And I think when you get that next wave of people, you know, bands coming in and everyone's kind of excited, I think that's the time when they often sort of decide to give it a bit of a break. But interesting enough, because I've done an interview with a few of those bands who didn't, you know, they had to sort of straddle that period of music, which people are kind of a bit stiff and sniffy about really because you you know because obviously you know journalists like to put things into nice little easy to digest sort of episodes don't they or, or kind of slots so bands like Carter had started in that kind of late 80s and had sort of like gone through it sort of like had sort of surfed over the dance and the and the grunge world and, and then ended up playing um, kind of Glastonbury main stage, I think, in the early '90s, which is still one of those kind of experience, um, those those kind of facts that everyone's slightly boggled by. But for a moment, they did they did capture the sort of the the cultural zeitgeist, really. And so, yes, grunge it came along, it wiped out a lot of those bands, didn't it? Yeah, well, I guess, and I guess we we were kind of in the fortunate position of just suddenly being in the right place at the right time. You know, kind of we, we'd. You know, we we just sounded a lot like those bands that were coming out of Seattle at the time. I think probably you know it's no coincidence that we actually just came from similar roots. You know, they they were all kind of although they were a bit older than us. You know, they were kind of ra- raised on you know sort of seventies heavy metal and the kind of that kind of stuff, and and it sort of morphed through you know into sort of more popular influences and had kind of you know got this this sound which was you know kind of heavy pop songs really and I and I think you know we were just coming from a similar place even though we were you know in a different area although having said that you know that again sort of the geography of East Anglia is you know the time is especially pre pre-internet and you know you you are quite cut off there you know you're in a little microcosm Yes. So, you know, you, you know, we were playing for, for years and years and years, just kind of really, you know, with, we, we had quite sort of wide influences in that we were, you know, quite, we all listened to, you know, guitar music, but also hip hop and dance music as well. But it was, there wasn't that much of it. You know, you had a, you know, a couple of albums of each and you kind of obsess about those. And so, but, but, I th- but I think I think it is maybe the same as you know growing up in the Pacific North Northwest. You know you're quite isolated, and there are these sort of isolated scenes, and you sort of develop, you know, certainly outside of what's happening in in London or Manchester or Liverpool or the bigger cities, and and to sort of are we you know able to sort of develop this this sound, and it just just sort of happened that you know. We we just happened to be kind of right place at the right time as the music press and you know various other people were kind of we we just sort of happened upon the zeitgeist I guess you know yes. and, and well I do remember there was Silverfish I remember seeing them supporting my bloody Valentine and also another band called the Faith Eaters so there were there were those kind yeah, of bands they, that that had come out of the kind of slightly squat scenes of I don't know various cities where you know they would obviously had developed that kind of um, noise really <laughs> I don't know I mean I enjoyed it but it was like trying to describe it, it was like well, I don't know how you describe silverfish but they did make a good noise um you know and and the faith healers and obviously early you know early my bloody valentine was amazing as well and seeing them live so 
Yes, there they were. I suppose there were bands who wanted to make music for the love of it, knowing that they probably weren't going to make it that big. But then suddenly went, oh my god, actually we're quite big. You know, it's like I, I always remember talking to, you know, the drummer from Silverfish who suddenly was playing Reading Rock Festival after you know sort of playing art centres and thinking, well, you're probably not going to go that far with this band. But then being surprised when you suddenly you know, touring Europe and, and probably going to America at the same time, probably not thinking that was going to be, what you know, a potential career option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of always think, you know, it's looking back, I, I, I can't really believe that we were as successful as we were because, you know, we were quite uncompromising, really, and pretty in, inaccessible in you know most of the music and we didn't really we didn't try try to be you know commercial and if anything we were sort of kind of willfully you know un uncommercial so 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 yeah it's st still a kind of a bit of a sort of you know still baffled that we 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 kind of achieved the, you know any kind of mainstream success really yes so then when you went to Ouija Records, which, you know, obviously was the hip and happening label at the time. God knows if it's still going, though. Um, <laughs> but, I, but it was kind of, it was happening, wasn't it? And I think, was Big Black and Steve Albini on it and stuff like that? Uh, no, they they weren't on it. Um, so we we joined, just so, uh, so it was run by Gary Walker, who, who um, you know, was obviously really kind of inspirational, uh, you know, label manager, you know, and was... He he'd he'd had Silverfish and then Therapy had been been on the label. And they just as we joined, they were just leaving. They'd just been signed by A A and M, and so so we we kind of joined. And you know, Gary was was great. Was kind of really supportive and sort of you know just had because because Therapy had been successful and then you know. He, he suddenly that was a bit more of an, an in, especially to the music press and to the, um, you know, the kind of sort of London tastemakers, really. But we, we were kind of at a, kind of the label sort of was, you know, always evolving. And so sort of as we 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 made a record for him. And then just after that, I remember, you know, we were talking to him and he said, oh, you know, I've just seen this amazing band. You know, they're from uh, I think it was Coventry saying oh you know it's um two asian brothers and you know they're they're called corner shop and you know they're amazing they're but they're you know they're a bit all over the place and it's all quite shambling and um and then yeah that obviously you know became you know the corner shop and they they sort of evolved on the label and became you know this kind of huge kind of cultural force and then um, after that he signed and then a similar thing happened you know he's we were talking to him and said oh, I've seen this amazing band Huggy Bear you know I think you know they're doing something really special and important and again that became you know a big cultural phenomenon but in, in a way we were kind of um, you know it was, it, so it was always it was, it was always changing and I, and I think you know you talk about you know bands um, not fitting in but may, maybe you know the, the 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 sort of there was a sea change really you know against sort of noisy noisy guitars yes I, I yes I can see that um 
you know, us music fans who are incredibly fickle suddenly sort of go, yeah, that just sounded like the previous album on board now. I mean, it's terrible, isn't it? I have to say, it must be hell being in a band because you just, you're going to get shot either way. If you just repeat the last album, the fan just goes, yeah, it sounded like your previous album, but not as good. And if you go and do your avant-garde jazz sort of fusion, you know, the fan will also turn on you. It's kind of, it's worse than being a member of the royal family at the moment, isn't it? But enough of that but then so when you when you brought out I'm scared was that were you on a creative role at that stage um yes I, yeah I think so I think um I think we were sort of really trying to try something different with with the production of it um and I think uh, I think we we felt that, that that it was a really important album for us because of you know where we we sort of been been building momentum and kind of you know um, songwriting wise just felt we were sort of honing honing our craft and and things were you know re really I guess sort of finding our own sound and our own identity and you know it was it was an album. That we we had you know because because we we were recording it for Ouija we had a little bit more money so so we could spend a bit more time doing it um so 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 yeah it was it it did feel like it was a really important record it felt like there was quite a lot of pressure I think when we were making it yes because we for the first time we felt like we had a kind of a, a platform there was you know there wasn't a sort of an audience that we were that we'd we'd kind of built up whereas which hadn't been the case when we'd made records before yeah and also i remember you know you were your, your sort of album the, the cover of the album you were going you, you definitely sort of changed that style didn't you to be in yeah i mean all i don't know you there was a kind of a portrait of the band was that quite a well i mean it would be deliberate because you put it on there but you know were you trying to sort of I don't know, show yourselves. Because most bands seem to sort of not put pictures of themselves on an album, bizarrely. But you did. Yeah, it, yeah, it, came, it came about almost by accident in that, that we were um, try, trying to think of an album cover and um, there were a few ideas knocking around. And then uh, nothing that was, was really working. And then we, we'd done a, um, a piece for The Melody Maker we played a gig at the Rough Trade record shop in in London in Covent Garden, and they they'd done a feature around it. And uh, Joe Dilworth, who was the drummer of the Faith Healers, but also a photographer for for the Melody Maker at the time, had taken some pictures, and they were they would just came out brilliantly, you know, because he, he was a, a friend of ours who we knew quite well, and really it was just you know we were just hanging out in in a pub in Covent Garden and and then he was he was taking pictures and telling jokes and you know just making making us all laugh like like he did when whenever you know we kind of met up and you know the pictures that came out were just these amazing kind of natural photos and I, I think it you know it, it was we I think we just finished the album and we just felt you know so positive and just felt like we were on you know, we were just on on a kind of a real high. I think the felt we'd we'd really sort of found you know a, a sort of a, a sound, and and we were really proud of what we had, and it just seemed to fit. You know, it just seemed to be 
fit the the kind of positivity we were we were feeling at the time and I, mean, I, I didn't really sort of think about it being you know a statement of intent of you know this is our work this is us on the front cover but it was it was more just the kind of just the kind of the joy and the positivity of the pictures just seemed to kind of fit 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 the mood and you know why not yeah let's just let's stick it on the cover you know yes absolutely well that, that was quite a I mean it was quite a look because I can remember those kind of festies that we used to sort of go to in the travellers and that, that there was a sort of a, a style wasn't there and you did also I remember there were a lot of bands with it, um, the uh, Catherine Wheel and um Oh God, not the levelers, but you know what I mean. There was kind of a lot of people with long hair, and you know, playing didgeridoo. Obviously, you did not have a didgeridoo player on that album, but there was kind of a, definitely a style of, uh, that was going around at that point where people, you know, had that that sort of particular look. Quite long haired check shirts, that kind of stuff, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Again, I don't. We know we never really thought too hard about what we what we wore. I mean, I guess they're they're was a sort of band style, but I think that that just came more from the fact that we just all hung out together and, um, you know, you, you you sort of end up buying the same clothes and, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, yes. it, it was it was never a, a kind of a conscious thing. It was always just, a, it was just something that kind of evolved and, you know, that, that, was, that was the way we were. We probably looked like half of the people in, you know, we'd, hung around within our hometown you know it was just that's that's what people people did back then yes sorry about going on about the, your fashion yes your fashion director which probably didn't happen did it but look then because you were still sort of touring with like major bands like babes in toyland did you get to tour europe and america at all we we did we did um the, a big european tour with babes in toyland which was you know amazing which we'd played some some shows with them in in the UK, and again just just really got on with them, and they they really liked the band, and um, just just got a call one day saying you know we're coming over to do a do a tour, would you like to support us? You know, so it was just one of those kind of you know just nice things to fall in your lap, and it was yeah amazing experience. Just I mean not least. Just to go and and be able to 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 watch Babes in Toyland, you know, nearly every night for three weeks was is is unbelievable. You know, they are they're you know such a great band. You know, I think one of the you know so, so, so they've got such an individual sound, and you know, and just a, a really sort of uh, you know re- really good 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 people and and uh, you know really really sort of interesting characters. Yes, because one thing. Sorry, after you. Uh, oh no, no, that's not. I, I, because I was going to say the one thing I also noticed doing all these interviews is that, that you know most bands have the five-year narrative, you know, where they get together and sort of spend twelve months, you know, playing music, and a lot of the time, especially in the eighties, were, were often unemployed and claiming job seekers allowance or enterprise allowance because, and you know, there wasn't that much on. You know, employment was kind of pretty low, especially for young people. So being in a band was one thing 
that kept you sort of amused as well as sort of, you know, just enjoyed sort of hanging out and taking drugs and that kind of stuff. And then a John Peel, you know, play would get them a session and then that sort of album would appear. So things were going generally good. And then the second album, not so good. And if any band ever did America, that was often the finish of them. But, you know, five years seemed to be the, the narrative of most bands which bizarrely is quite similar to your sort of the, the, the kind of lifespan of your band because you did another, you did a third album, which frankly is, is damn good at this stage in life. You did Rubber Room. So when you were putting that, you were obviously kind of doing, working on it in the sort of, I don't know, the winter of sort of 94. But were you feeling like, did you have any idea that this was going to be the, the, the final album or was it just things were still going good and it was just... Yeah, kind of... I mean, we, we actually did... So before Rubber Room, we actually did a series of three, well, singles, EPs, which were then kind of compiled into a, to an al- album length, which in, well, for me and I think for the rest of us, feel, that almost feels like a, a third album, although it wasn't actually a third album, but as a body of work. I think the thinking was that... Um, from from Gary at Ouija was to try and keep some momentum going rather than disappearing for you know a year or you know six months to make another album and then sort of promoting that was to you know put out sort of three singles quite quite quickly you know in quite quick succession just to then put them out and then tour on the back of each one and, and keep things moving which which kind of did did work work well in terms of you know it did, did keep things ticking over and but it's a sort of it, in a way it's a shame in, in that some of that although it did get compiled into an album at the end kind of got lost a little bit because I think some of that material is probably you know the the most stuff that I'm the most happy with that we that we recorded and actually sort of although they were three singles actually hangs together really well as, as as an album as a complete album yes tell us a bit just uh, one one track that that you did called v12 marmites is that yeah is because <laughs> i remember in the 80s you know a lot of people going into being a vegetarian and veganism and all that v12 was often mentioned was this to do with diet by the way it probably probably was sam was uh we were we were all vegetarians at the time and i think by then, yeah, Sam would have been a vegan as well. I mean, he's Sam, the singer and drummer, has, has, had became a vegan. Yeah, I'm guessing sort of, you know, early '90s, and you know, has been a vegan ever since. So yes, I'm sure there is a, there is a connection there to to food, and it must have been, or at least the kind of name must have come from something he was reading about, you know, vegan diet and what you need to stay healthy. You know. Yes. So yeah. The marmite, the marmite thing was quite a big thing at the time, and um, yes, but you know, that's probably the only time I've ever come across B12 mentioned in a song, actually. I think one of, also on one of those uh, well singles slash EPs, there's a on the cover there's a recipe for a, a vegan chocolate cake. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so so food and and recipes are obviously forefront in his mind at that point. I think. It's good to be practical with these, not to waste the album sleeve. But then, yeah, so as you were coming to the your sort of the mid-90s, John Major years, um, um, and Britpop being... So how did you cope with Britpop? Because at that stage, there was a lot of those bands that... 
I know a few indie bands thought, God, if only we'd stuck with it, we could have been, you know, vaguely successful, but probably looked a bit old by the age of 30. But, you know, there was, how were you sort of dealing with the the world of um, sort of the shine compilations and pulp and blur and and sort of sleeper? I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I think we were pretty unfashionable by by then, I think. I mean, we did, we sort of crossed over, because I've just, uh, I sort of remembered it because I've just finished reading Brett Anderson's autobiography, um, or, or one of them, or the first one, the Cold Black Mornings, and I, I remember that we, we shared the bill with them in the very early days, in the Islington Powerhouse, which I think was some kind of enemy new bands night or something, um, and they... So we sort of we sort of crossed over, but it was it was sort of one. I remember we we played with with them, and uh, there there was a big Melody Maker review of of the gig, and it was you know basically saying you know everybody in this room will be telling their grandchildren where they were this night, you know. It was and I think I think the next week you know, there was front cover of you know Suede Best New Band in Britain, and it was that but you know that gig we played, you know, we didn't know who they were or yeah so yeah so you were saying when you were recording the album not before yeah. that you were starting to feel that that yeah. was going to be the end yeah I mean I think we I mean l- listening back to it I, I, I really like it as a record but it I couldn't listen to it for for a long long time after we recorded it because I think it it is the sound of 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 three people going slightly mad you know in but the, the way we we recorded it we 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 had longer to record it than we ever had before we had a, about four weeks and we went to a small studio actually with it was with howard the same guy who recorded the first the, the dot ep he by then he had a studio out in attleborough in in um no it wasn't attleborough oh was it yes attleborough in norfolk and you know, so it was in it was in the middle of nowhere, and and we'd kind of go go there, stay all week in in this kind of you know, literally in the middle of nowhere, and and it just sent us all slightly mad. And and it, and now listening back to it, you can kind of hear it. It's this incredibly intense, dark kind of record. Yes. And you know, and I kind of I actually you know I actually really like it now and like the way it came out but yes it was it was quite sort of in a way traumatic to make um and I think I don't know whether whether it was because we had you know I don't think we I don't ever remember talking about it about about it being our last record but I think we kind of felt it it would be and I think so I think there was this um you know need to kind of put everything into it and you know you know to talk about a bit like footballers you know go off Leave, don't leave the pit having you know left every, you know um, it was a bit like that I think I think we felt like we had to put squeeze every last drop of creativity and and you know whatever we had into it yes um, and can, and can you remember the last song that you recorded as a band uh, it, it would it would have been we I don't think we recorded anything else off of a room uh, so, so it would have been something rubber room. I can't honestly remember what yes. what order we would but it would have been it would have been that I know because actually all the songs are remarkably short aren't they they're really short and intense yeah yeah they're yeah they're, they're really short and they've all got you know everything everything on them you know I think it 
it's uh, I mean, we've never had that long to record before, and I think you kind of go, you, you kind of layer, you know, you you problem is when you have that long, you start layering stuff on, and then you start taking it all off again, you know. But it's uh, yeah, it, they're, yeah, they're, they're sort of really sort of short, tight vignettes with with you know lots in them. No, I, I still, I still think a lot of it holds up. Yes, it's, it's definitely, it was, um, you know, a very sort of intense process making it. Yes, and did you? And so, when you got the album and the, you know, it's all done, was the band still together at that stage, or had you broken up? Yeah, because oh, we, um, we still, you know, had commitments to to honour to, to promote it. And you know, we were in no, you know, doubt that we we still wanted to go and promote the record. Um, I can't remember. I mean, I, I think after we finished recording, I remember I went to the states for six weeks just to kind of escape from everything and everybody. You know, just uh, I, I just kind of backpacked around the states for six weeks just to sort of clear clear my head. I think everybody. I can't remember what the other two did, but you know, went on things, and then the record then would have come out kind of early '95, I think. And we we did we we toured in the UK to to promote it. And I, I remember having a conversation with Harry at Ouija, you know, just basically saying, you know, this is it. We're we're not going to do do another record. And I think, you know, he, I think in a way he was quite relieved. Probably, I think he, he'd been so supportive of the band and. You know, really, you know, been our kind of biggest supporter in so many ways. But uh, again, I've never spoken to him about it, but I kind of get the feeling that he he felt, you know, there probably wasn't much more he could do do with the band. So you know, it was. I think it was it was the right time to to kind of, um, yes, you know, decide not to to do it anymore. I think as well, you know, we've been we've been friends for so long, the three of us, you know, since we were. 11, 12, 12 years old, you know, and literally grown up together. And I think, you know, it was things were being so strained that it was, I think we, we decided, well, again, you know, I don't, nothing, we didn't talk about it at the time, but I remember feeling at the time, you know, if we carry on doing this, we're not going to be friends anymore, you know. So it was, it was almost kind of more important to stay friends and, and not be in a band. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that's amazing that you managed to sort of, Avoid that sort of horrendous moment where you're sort of like, yes, never, never wanted to see each other again. So, did you have a moment where you all sat down and said, "This is it"? To quote Jim Morrison, "The end." Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. I don't. We must have had that conversation, but I don't remember when it was or whether it sort of. It, it may have kind of taken place in stages throughout the the recording of Rubber Room. Um, but all the, the tour, but I, I think pretty much after we'd finished putting rubber room, we, we the way I remember it, we, we were pretty sure that that was it. Yes. And not long after after that, I, I then moved. Well, myself and then Hugo, my brother, moved to to London. Even though we were still still playing in the band and kind of you know promoting the album, you know, but it was they just things were changing. You know, we. We'd, we'd, we'd be in kind of different areas and, and you know, it just wasn't that kind of 
you know, sole enterprise that it had been before. Yes. So did you, I mean, did you continue any music or did you sort of put that to one side for a while? No, I I didn't really. I, I was, uh, I went to university. So I, I um, so I guess we kind of called it today kind of early five around, I don't know, sort of April, May time. And then the following sort of September, I then went to university and I was just, I was just happy to be doing something else. Really. I think I'd been so so long, you know, been such a kind of a long kind of journey. It was just nice to be in, you know, have a different focus and be doing something else, and and to, to also have an identity inside of the band. You know, I think you get, you, you know, it can be quite constraining after a while. You know, to you know, to, to not have an identity, you know, outside of a group of, you know, two other people. So I just, and, and enjoying the anonymity of being in London and just, you know, doing doing something completely different. Yeah. I did, I did, the only, I, a couple of, a couple of bands that I, I sort of played, played with, I think like once or twice and just thought, you know what, I've, done this but for now you know I've kind of I, I just want my to be on I mean I think the, the brilliant thing about Jacob's Mouse was that it was all consuming and it was you know every for every sort of minute and you know every hour we were in the band we were completely focused on it and and I just sort of thought that's I, I, I can't do that with anything else you know with another band or not now you know I just want to be my you know focus and energy is to be on something else and I don't want to do music and do it half half fast you know I kind of almost don't know how to do that so and uh and yeah so I've, and I've not I play you know for for um pleasure myself you know I've got an acoustic guitar that I sort of strum but um in terms of sort of you know recording or commercial music I've not really done it Sam has been a lot more active. I mean, he's he's um, after Jacob's Mouse, he had a band Machismos, which he made some records with, um, and then uh, a, a reggae band People's Choice, and then he was in uh, and then a punk band, The Volunteers. So he's and he's he's still very active actually in the in the Berry music scene. So he's kind of you know kept kept things going. Yes. And do you occasionally, I mean, obviously one of them's your brother, but do you, the three of you ever sort of, because I just, yeah, just occasionally meet up or just kind of commune, commune, commute? Yeah, no, we're still, commune. We're still in regular, uh, yeah, still in regular contact. Um, I, I'm still, I still go back to, to Bury quite a bit where Sam still lives. I mean, I still, my my brother, um, Hugo, lives in Sweden now. He's been for the like last 10 years in the south of Sweden. But you know, I, I, he's my twin brother, and we're still, you know, very close. So, so I, I see him, in, you know, as regularly as distance allows. You know, he's, he's we've both got young families, but um, so of, of a very similar age. So you know, so that's that's great. We kind of see each other and 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 hang out as often as you know we can. And then um, Sam, I'm still in in regular contact with. Um, I'm still back in Berry a fair bit. My parents still live there, so which is where and he lives there. So, 
so yeah, we we had dinner dinner the other night. Um, so yeah, which is which is great, you know, to 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 you know keep keep that friendship going and and you know yeah is, is you know is, is the most important thing really. God, that's fantastic. That's almost like the perf- being in the perfect band, isn't it? You've done the albums, you've done the tours, got quite a lot of experience and uh, still managed to sort of um, enjoy the company of your uh, old ex-bandmates, actually. So what would yeah. you, just just lastly, what would you say to a, an 18-year-old self who was sort of starting out and, and sort of in a band? Or, you know, what was the thing that you thought, God, you know, after all that year, all those years, not just that five years, but, you know, the, before that as well, that you'd sort of learned that you thought, actually, that's something, that's wisdom I've got there because of those experiences. I just wonder what that would be. Uh, I would just enjoy it. Probably, in, in, you know, try and enjoy it more, more you know, more than we did at times i don't know i mean i, I think looking back now you know it, it is so you I mean, i think when you when you're doing it and you're, you're having these kind of experiences these moments you know in single of the week in you know in in sound recording your first peel session or playing a you know a, the main stage of a festival or i think you realize they're really special moments and you know they're but it's only you know with hindsight that you realize you know well almost like i guess you you realize how special just the whole journey is so even even the the the, the downs you know the kind of the you know broken down on a in the middle of the night you know not not knowing how you're going to get to the next gig that is actually a, a kind of a, a special moment and a special experience that you know, you're you get to experience. experience yes. You know, you're you're in this kind of unique environment, really, that I think you don't realise at the time because you know you're. Well, for for us, you know, being in a band is well up until twenty three. That's all we've ever done. You know, we'd, we'd we you know we'd ever known. Your contemporaries, most your friends, are other people and bands because that's who you're socializing with and spending with you you are in this kind of complete world this little microphone and uh, it's to kind of insight kind of you know now i've you know I'm a, I'm a guy with a family and a age and a regular job you know and, and you know, which is great and you know very fortunate in that position but you kind of Looking back to this kind of wild, you know, you realise how unique and sort of special it is. So, be just, just don't stress everything. Just you know, enjoy, enjoy everything. Excellent. Well, look, this has been great. Actually, the qualities just in the last few minutes seem to be going down. But look, can yeah. So, I think that could be it actually. But thank you ever so much for giving me the time on a Friday night for this. This has been really brilliant. No problem. And really nice to hear the story of the band because it's always good to, um, yeah, you think, God, you know, I can't just not get Japheth's mouse. That would just be wrong. So there you go. But thank you again. And I'll tell you when I put it out and I'll give you a link to the interview as well. So you can always put it on whatever site you like. So that will be good. But then, yes, do keep in touch. That would be Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Good, Good luck with the station. 
Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, all the best and have a great year. But again, thanks. Sorry, the, this last five minutes has just started. The, the connection has been poor. But anyway, look, take care and thanks again, okay? No, no problem. Talk, to you, talk to you again. Bye. Bye.